pull out the verses. I have to admit I didn't give them to Jeff until Saturday morning, so he had a lot of stress on him to get them out there, I know. You know, how many of you know who Paul Harvey was? I see a few hands, yes. I thought I might be the only one that not only knew Saugus, but know who Paul Harvey was. Paul Harvey was a radio commentarist, whatever the word is. That was before YouTube and Twitter and blogs, for, for those of you who don't know what that is. But he started in World War II, and he, he had a, something called the, the, the next story, or he would tell stories. And he'd tell a little bit of it, then it would go to commercial, and then he'd say something like, and now for the rest of the story. And a lot of times it was about somebody famous that it kind of teased you with who it really was, and then he told a story that was, oh, that's really neat. Well, I I told a little bit of my story at the beginning, and now for the rest of the story. See, I I talked about my father and I having that difficult non-relationship, and a lot of it was really due to both of us suffering from severe depression, anxiety, and and just not being able to deal with it properly. And, And for him, I didn't even know what was going on until later when I started to experience in high school, and especially when I was in college. And I shared how Finally, God pushed me toward developing a relationship and loving my father, even though there was nothing there, and sharing the gospel. Well, after I shared the gospel, he passed away about two years later. And I can remember saying, what if? What if I didn't follow through with what God was leading me to do? What if? Maybe he was saved from early on, because he he did do that as a child, but Maybe that was his eternal reward. And, and, but I wouldn't have had that relationship with him. I would have been more broken than I was at that point in time. See, the gospel message was essential for me. During those times of struggle, I had to go to the cross more often than not. And I had around me the Christian club in high school. I was going to a Christian school. I had those who would help me in there. And they would point me in the right direction. And I needed that so desperately. We want to talk about the story of the cross. And and not just to look at the gospel messages and see what happened. I think most of us know that story. That that Jesus was crucified and depending upon who you were, he was crucified for different reasons. To the Romans, he was crucified because he might have been leading an insurrection that was pointing away from the emperor. To the Jews, they... He was crucified because he was claiming to be God, and he was also, for the Pharisees, messing up their whole business. But for those who had faith, he was crucified for us. We want to open up our new version. There we go. And we're going to show it on the screen. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. And the reason I go here is, this was probably the earliest creed that the Christians had, that probably was developed within the first year or two after Christ's death. Now, I study a lot in the area of, and teach in apologetics and theology, and, and there's those who would say, hey, the church made all that stuff up. It's all just a myth. It was hundreds of years later before they even claimed that Jesus was God or claimed that he rose from the dead. But here we see that at very, very early on, They recognized what the essential message was. It says, For I delivered to you as 
of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He goes on from there to talk about how he also appeared to Cephas, or Peter, to the 12 disciples, to James, who was the brother of Jesus, who would become sort of the leader of the Jerusalem church, and this is, and to 500 others. And the implication is, hey, if you have a question about what I'm saying here, there's a whole bunch of witnesses you can go to, right? Go ask them what really happened. And so the central part of the faith really was about what Jesus did for us. But the story of the cross doesn't start at the birth of Jesus or even the death of Jesus. It starts in the beginning. Let's look at Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, Bethel is starting tonight, and then there's another one on Thursday. Hopefully, those of you who are interested signed up and go. There's, it's still not too late. But one of the things that Bethel really does is it tells the story, really God's story, or the story of the Bible. Why did God do all these things that he did? And we see at the beginning, God created a perfect world. In fact, he looked at it and said, it's good. It's really, really good. And God made one stipulation, which was basically, hey, you could, this is your playground. This is, this is your, your feast that you have before her, but don't partake of this one fruit. Now, there's debate in the theological circles about what that really was. Was it an actual tree, or was it something else going on? But the basic idea was that man had certain limits. He had freedom, but within certain limits. And yet, man decided to go in the wrong direction. And yes, us guys, we're blaming Eve, right? It's all her fault. But really, it was mankind who sinned. Let's look at Galatians 3.15. So Galatians 1 and 2 are kind of like my first four years I talked about, which were, hey, we had just had a good time. I, I was happy as can be. And then you hear the rest of the story. And of course, at that point, they had sinned. And then this is the, the curse that was given to the serpent or to Satan. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And it was the first image of what the seed of woman, Jesus Christ, would do. He would destroy the power of sin and Satan and open up a whole new avenue for us. In fact, if we move on to the next verse, Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we became enemies of God through our sin. We told God basically, you say I can't do this or I should do this. Guess what? I'm going to do that or I'm not going to do that. We rebel. We talk about the sin nature that we inherited from Adam. But each one of us makes a conscious decision at some point in time to say no to God. To rebel from him. Say, I don't want your way. I want my way. And so we were really enemies of God. Now, I'm famous for saying this one thing. I sometimes hear people say, you know, we're all God's children. That really isn't true. We're all God's creation made in his image. 
But it says that we're adopted children into his family by faith. That until that point, we were enemies of God. We didn't want what God wanted. We wanted what we wanted. And at that point in time, as his enemy, Christ made the ultimate sacrifice for us. He died for us. And not only died, as he suffered so much for us. Now, I am not usually tempted to do a whole lot for my enemies. Those who don't like me or whatever, I, I have to really work through God's love to be able to show them love, right? But Christ showed his love for us because of his death. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. You know, within apologetics, and apologetics isn't apologizing for my faith. It's about how it would give a defense for what you believe. And, and what I see is within Scripture, there is so many pointers to the cross. There's so many pointers to Christ coming in a specific time, in a specific place. So much so, somebody once said, it's as if, if we took all of the prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament and, and we put silver dollars in, in Texas, you know, knee high and painted a red dot on one of them and had somebody just randomly go through and pick one, picking the red dot is the odds that all of the prophecy of the Old Testament would be fulfilled randomly in Christ as, he, as it was. So it's, it's not a random occurrence. God ordained it, God prepared it, and God did it for us. And it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Matthew 27, 46 says, and this was one of the sayings of Christ on the cross, it says, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthia, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, we talk about how all of our sins got placed upon Christ. Christ died for us. And for the first time in eternity, and I use that word loosely because there was no time before God created time, but for all epics, God the Father and God the Son were in communication with one another. Even when Christ was on the earth, he spent much time in communication with the Father. But here on the cross, the pain of separation between him and the Father. Now, it boggles our mind because God is one. Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are God. Three persons. of. So how there could be a separation boggles our mind. But in some essence, there was a separation that caused more anxiety and pain than the actual physical crucifixion that he was suffering. And I think back at my separation from my Father. That was minuscule in comparison to the suffering that Christ went through for us. He became our curse. And died for us. And then 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin to live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you who were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So he, he bore our sins, he took them on, and he opened the door for us to be in relationship with the Father in a way we could not have been on our own. Because basically, we couldn't have done all the things we needed to do to have that relationship happen. We were separated. We were sinners. <laughs> we decided we didn't want to do what God wanted us to do. 
And there was a chasm that we could never come across, and Christ bridged that chasm for us. He took on our sins, and he allowed us then, it says, we were strange sheep to now come into the pen. Colossians 2.14 By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You know, we owed big time. You know, Romans talks about that. He says, you know, the wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve were told that when you sin, when you do this thing that, that I told you not to do, you will surely die. Now we say, well, wait, their physical bodies didn't die at that moment. But yeah, the death came into the world. Not only that, is the death of separation from God came into the world. And what, what Jesus did for us was to say, I will now pay your debt. That you're supposed to die, that you're going to be separated from God, but I'll take care of all that for you if you will allow me to take that on for you. You can now be brought into the pasture. Galatians 2, are we in Galatians? Oh, John three sixteen and 17. No, I'm wrong on that. First John 2, 2. I'm going to drive them crazy in the back there. But he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, he gave an opportunity for all who will to have their sins removed on the cross. Now, there, there's still a stipulation, which is basically you come by faith and accept what he did for you, and then you shall receive that reward of the connection back with God to have your sins paid for so you can be in his presence. And now John three sixteen and 17, probably one of the most famous verses because you see it at so many football games, right? John three sixteen, right up on top. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so you see again, God so loved, and says the world, really, God so loved you and me. He so loved all of us that he was willing to do what he needed to do in order to give us an opportunity to come back. And the son, Jesus, came to earth with that expressed purpose. Now, there are some who will say, well, Jesus was a good example for us, right? And that's about all there was. Gandhi used to say, I love this Jesus. It's Christians I don't like very much. Because he saw the lifestyle of him. But it wasn't just an example for us that Christ came. Though it is a great example. He came specifically to pay our debt because of the love he had for us. And and I can remember in times of struggle in myself, I I would think back on what Jesus did for me. When I was tempted to just totally go in a different direction, when when the depression would overwhelm me to the point where thoughts of suicide were coming into my head, it was the cross of Christ so often that said, wait, what did Jesus do for you? He died for you so you could live for him. Don't give up. Romans 8, Jeff taught through Romans 8 recently, and there's that section at the end. I cannot, if I had a dollar for every time I read the end of Romans 8, I I probably would have enough money to buy a car, but 
But it says, what can separate us from the love of God? No height, nor depth. You know, all of these things that he mentions in there, and I would say, not depression, not anxiety, not feelings of worthlessness can separate me from the love of God. So Romans 8 was, was one of those rocks that I could hold on to. Galatians 2.20 you know, there's an implication that also happens. We could say, well, yeah, that's great. The cross paid for my sins, and now I can have a relationship with God, and I'm ready to go to heaven. So I've, I've got my fire insurance, right? So I don't go to that other place. Right now, Craig is in our, my classroom teaching about hell. So yeah, I, I, I've got the fire insurance, and, and now I just sit back and wait. But the implication of the cross is more than that. Not only did Christ die for us, but now we can live totally different. Romans tells us that we're a new creature. Isn't that nice being a new creature? All those times that I moved, those 12 times, I wanted to reinvent myself every time I went somewhere, but I found out I was the same person every time there. I I could try to pretend to be something, but I still was the same inside. But through Christ, I became a new creature. I had abilities that I never had before. I, I had an a, a message, I had a mission that I didn't have before. And so we see in, in this verse, Galatians 2.20, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And that was one of the verses that, that really... I concentrate on a lot because I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. When I was weak and falling apart, I would have to repeat, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he expects me to live differently than what I would have lived before. And he empowers me to live differently than I could have lived before. 1 John 3.16 very similar to John 3.16. I like both of these. It says, For by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You see, the implication of the cross isn't just about us. It's not about you. I hate to inform you of that, because a lot of times we want it to be about us. But now we live for him. So the life that he gave up for us allowed us to have a life where we can now live differently and we can be the presence of Christ in our world. We, we talk a lot about that here at Cedars. You know, we talk about your 8 to 16 or 8 to 15 people, the people who are around you that see you, that you have some kind of influence over, right? That we can now be the presence of Christ in our circle. That we can show forth his love in ways that we couldn't do on our own. We can show forth his grace and mercy. Well, those are hard words. Grace and mercy. Especially driving to work each morning, right? How often do we really have to go, wait a minute, it's not about me. Let's give that person grace. Maybe they're having a bad morning. I used to carpool with a guy, and every morning, we were both Christians, and so we would look for the move of the morning. The person who did the stupidest, dumbest thing. And instead of getting angry, we would give them an award. Wow, here's your award because 
what you just did was fantastically crazy. And it really helped us not to get upset. But showing that kind of grace sometimes is easier to do to the people around us that are on the peripheral, but sometimes not so easy to do on the people that are closest to us. Sometimes it's the family, our family, that we have to live with all the time, that we find it hard to give that kind of grace. And and I know God hit me across the head so many times. I I thought about my my own children. How How many times did I start to respond in anger instead of grace? I remember when I went to church, I I talked a little bit about that, how we got invited to church, and and I went by myself, and then I got in trouble when I came home because I didn't know where I was. And and it was like this, where were you? What were you doing? How come you did this? And it's like I wanted to answer, but there was no room to put any words in between what I was being yelled at about, right? And when there finally was, I could actually say, I went to church. Now, now, that was even back in a time when kids could roam free. Nowadays, that's, I think you get in trouble for that. But, but they, they just didn't know where I was, so it scared them, and so they yelled at me, and then that happened there. But I, I recognized I did the same thing. I, I took those things that my father did that I wasn't happy about, and I started to live them out in my own life and show anger at times. And God had to slap me across the head several times and say, show your children grace. And the one thing that I think I was most proud of was that I actually could go back to my children and apologize and ask for their forgiveness. And yeah, I wish I didn't do all the things I did, but God's grace helped me to at least go back and to restore relationships with my own children. Romans 6.6 We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You see, it was to release us so that we could be different. Mark 8.34 is the next one. There we go. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So the call of Jesus wasn't just, hey, come and have your sins removed, but come and follow me and be my presence in the world around you. Show for a different life than you would normally have done. And in spite of the debilitating depressions that that attacked me for most of four decades. God gave me grace enough to be able to do so much of that. I I actually, I I mentioned in the first part that I went to San Jose Bible College. I went to Lincoln Christian Seminary for a while. I came back. I I was youth pastor for a couple years. I was a pastor for a year until the church merged back into the one at Split Fum. You know how that happens in churches. And I was out of a job and looked for work, but the way that our, our denomination worked is they would invite three or four people in and pick one, then they invite three or four people, and I never got picked. So what I found is I moved to the tech world, but I preached probably every month or two at various churches I was in, or I did a lot of teaching. I took all of that and was able to use it, and I actually found that it was a better fit for me for what God really wanted to do on that kind of thing. And I just saw God working, and I had to rely so often on his grace because I didn't have it in of myself. 
that the times when I just wanted to say, no, I'm not going, God would say, I've given you enough grace. Go. Go do what I'm telling you to do. Get there. Galatians 6, 14. But far, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, you know Paul in one part, I think it was Romans 8, we talked about, he said, now I don't, I don't want to have to say all this, but remember, I was shipwrecked. I did this and this happened. And, this, and he kind of listed all these credentials. And he said, but I count all of that at loss for the surpassing knowledge of the cross of Christ. You know, I, I can just look at my own life and to recognize, you know, it, there could be some things, and there, there are some people that go, oh, it was so nice that you did this or did... It's like, you don't know me. Because <laughs> inside, I didn't have the strength or power to do that. It was Christ who helped me to get to that point and do that. In fact, the kind of shy individual I was, I kept getting pushed into leadership roles, or I got pushed into roles where I had to speak and talk. And boy, I was just, in fact, my, the first sermon I ever gave, somebody told me, you know, you preached in, like, you preached very biblically because you preached in fear and trembling. And that really was where I was at. But I just see the grace of God that's within us. And sometimes, you know, we all say, I can't do it, God. What are you calling me to do? I just can't do it. He says, but I've already given you the ability. You just have to take the step of faith. You just have to move out there because you already have what you need. You have me. You don't need anything else. Just start moving. In Matthew 6, 24 through 26, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You know, there was a time when I, I tried to save my life and I lost it. You know, I, I told my story about depression and whatever. I, I had gotten married uh, after went to seminary. Uh, I had met her in Bible college. She suffered epilepsy. And when we first were married, she had a, maybe one seizure a day. So she'd stay in bed until she had it and then go. I'd go to work at six, come home at three, and then kind of take over the homestead because... The epilepsy started getting worse and worse till she had dozens of seizures a day from very small to very large and headaches and a lot of other difficulties. But, you know, I saw God's grace in that too because we went through and had two children and we're raising them. We actually went to UCSF quite often for various epilepsy studies and the, the nurses would have her go talk to people or talk us talk to them because they had maybe one seizure every couple of days and they just gave up on their lives. And they said... Go tell them you can have a life. And we shared, it's only through God's strength and power we can do this. But then there was a day when I was at work and I got a phone call that my wife had fallen down the stairs and broken her neck. And it was at that point, you know, you're just, you're in panic mode. You're in, okay, let's make sure everything's okay. But it was the beginning of the root of my fall away from God's grace for a while. Because it, it's like it shattered my world. And, and yes, we made it through. She had a halo device for months and months and months. But in the end, my faith was so shaken that it destroyed my marriage. It almost lost me my job, my house, my home, and possibly my children. It just 
ruined my life for a few years. I think back in Nebuchadnezzar. He was the great king of Babylon, and at a banquet, he was basically claiming he's the greatest thing ever, and God said, no, you're not, and he went crazy and went out in the fields and lived like an animal. You know, I look back, and I, I was totally destroyed. That, that the emotions and depression just and anxiety and paranoia were just so rampant in me that I don't even know how I kept my job and kept going. And a, a year or two later is when God gave me enough grace to restore my mind enough where I had to ask myself, if I'm going to step away from faith, I better find out if it's true or not. And, and that's why for me, apologetics is so important because I had to go through and, and find out, is there really a God? Does all those things I studied, were they a lie or was it the truth? And God made it clear that he exists. God made it clear that really the scriptures were true and that what Jesus did for me is true. In fact, going through a year-long study, I got to the point where I, I could not deny any of that, even though I wanted to. And yet, I still was on that balance beam and I could fall off in either direction because emotionally I was distraught. And I finally had to say, I give up. Go to the cross. I laid my burdens out. In fact, that night, I just, I let God know everything inside of me, as if he didn't already know. And I surrendered to him. And God began the process, several year long process of restoring me back. You know, I I feel shame for saying that because here I was, preaching and teaching, and yet my emotions just about ruined me. And at the same time, I say, I can see God along the whole step. He was there through my children, through family members, through other means to show me God's love and grace through it all, even though I could not see any of it at the time. He will never leave or forsake you. That verse is so true, and I can attest to that. God restored me, not because of anything I did, but because of his love and his grace. And the cross for me is not only the fact that Christ died for me, but he lives with me, and he provides, and he shall see me through any difficulty. Let's pray. God, I I am just in awe of the love that you have for me and for really for all of us, Lord. And God, I pray for anyone out there right now who may be suffering right now through doubts and difficulties, maybe through some of the emotional turmoil that I went through, through broken relationships, God, that you will now touch upon them and and start them on the process of healing, Lord. God, I I know that, that I can trust in you. And God, for all of those who are going through those difficult times, Lord. I just ask that you show up through those in their inner circle, God, who can speak to them the truth of your love and your grace and help them to be restored to the person that you want them to be, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.